Welcome to Manchester's Podcast. Thank you for joining wherever and however you're listening. The show that talks about anything and everything. Everything. And now, here's your host, Jason Manchester. All right. Welcome back. Uh, Cheryl, how are you? Good. How are you, Jason? I'm doing good. Welcome to the show. I know it's been a long time and we've uh, talked about getting you on here to kind of tell your story. So I did not attempt your last name. I know we were talking about it before we started, but um, Cheryl, <laughs> we'll go with that. Cheryl Chicky. <laughs> I've heard that Cheryl last name Chickie. somewhere. I don't know where it's been, but I don't know. Anyway, so how are you doing? I'm good. I am happy to be here and just hang out with you for, for a night, I guess. Yeah, for probably a good hour or so. I'm sure you have um, a lot to talk about. It's a serious subject. Uh, I know we met, um, I don't know, what, a few months ago or so, six months maybe? I don't know. I can't keep up with time, but we met through um, a mutual friend and... Uh, trying to work on a documentary with you and a, uh, an association, uh, in our backyard. So you want to just kind of give us a brief, uh, kind of description of what, you know, kind of how you're involved in it, what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in our backyard is a national nonprofit that, uh, links arms across America in the fight against human trafficking. So uh, we educate, um, mobilize, and partner um, with awesome people and awesome groups to try to get the work done um, to really bring this subject to light and also show that there's hope, but also make sure people know like this happens right here in our backyard and what you can do about it to stop it. Yeah, it's a, like I said before, it's a serious subject. Um, I think a lot of people, uh, they hear about it, and I just don't think they're as educated on it, probably, as you really need to be. Um, you see movies and stuff that kind of, you know, it touches on human trafficking, but I think people get kind of a, kind of a one-track mind when it comes to what it is um, and kind of, I guess, how to spot it. So, I mean, but you guys talk about, or you, you, you teach that stuff to people and you, you talk about it. Like, I think you said you, um, I think you just spoke on it, didn't you? I think it was yesterday or something like that. I believe you were telling me, but, um, so talk to me, tell me about, about that. So how do you, what are some of the ways to spot human trafficking? Um, it's really happening around your everyday norm. Um, you know, you could be in the grocery store line and not understand that there's someone who's in domestic servitude uh, out to, you know, buy groceries for the day and, and they're here, you know, at a serving level. That's, that's not okay. It's labor trafficking. There's maybe sex trafficking happening. But um, when they have no sense of identity or they're not in control of their IDs um, or passports, you know, things like that. They're, they're going to stay silent and not know how to reach out for help. So we've had those types of stories. Um, we've also had the stories of just relational teenagers who, you know, meet a friend and they're introduced to a, 
maybe their first boyfriend or first like love interest and they're wooed and pursued and within three months you know they're they're on their way trafficked into las vegas and it can take up to a year to really get them out um, but we also see a lot of like survival uh sex for kids who are you know at risk or missing or have a higher difficult circumstance to deal with and you know exploiters are looking to be that that rescuer for them and offer things that basic needs and take advantage of them in that way so usually false promises um or maybe dreams that younger adults and and you know teens have of you know getting famous or a modeling job or a gig or just not being alone and having someone to confide in they're all vulnerabilities that you know each of us share um as humans you know we all have desire and we all want to be seen and and they know that so whether you want to call it smooth talk or yeah. sweet talk or a good sell um, there's usually a good sell involved but once you cross that line you're usually isolated alone um, you don't know where to reach out for help a lot of people struggle with feeling how did I get here mm-hmm. um, and they don't know where to go or what to do so our job is to let them know that there's a national hotline out there when you're in that situation that you can call get resources, get help, get out, and even get emergency service, services if needed or whatever's needed. But um, it's it can be tragic, and it's real, it's raw. 80% um, of people who are victimized by human trafficking are, are U.S. citizens. So we hear big numbers like, you know, 27 million slaves around the world. And I think our brains naturally think, like, it's still not us. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not my town or or in my actual community on my street. But, you know, if you have internet, like, you, yeah, have, yeah, no. you have human trafficking happening. I mean, even in the pornography world, um, that's like, that like fuels human trafficking on whether that's a person who wants to be on that camera or not. So right. there, there's lots of ways to, to go over that to, you know, choirs internationally, um, you know, every, every, if they can make money, that's what drives it. So as long as they're making their $150 billion industry a year, they're, they're going to find a way to get, to get you. Is that what it is? $150 billion? Yeah. I mean, how, it's, so where does, where does that number come from? Where, so when you say, um, when you get that information, where does it come from? The International Labor Organization is a great uh, research, you know, uh, site to go off of. Um, Polaris Project does research every year on that national uh, human trafficking hotline. And the hotline number is 888-3737-888. Uh, so those two are like the main the main ones you can go to. You can also go to like Homeland Security. There's a lot of sites, but all the research that's collected, you know, it's posted on the web and, and you can tell, you know, good sources compared right. to poor sources. Right, yeah. So, and I think it's important to talk about that it's not just women. I think a lot of people, when you say human trafficking, they automatically default to women being sold for like prostitution. And and it's not just women, it's and it's people of all age. What's so what's do you know what's the percentages of say um kids versus adults? Is there like a percentage out there of, of what that is? Well usually usually about fifty percent are women and children um, and about 25% are, are children. So under it, the age of what? Of 18. 
18. So automatically, age. yes, automatically. I mean, you're not just, it's not just human trafficking. I mean, you're breaking a number of laws, you know, yes. anyway, but it's, I guess, it, it, I mean, it's sad that it, that it goes on like it, when you say 150 billion, that is a lot of money to yeah. be made off of that. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. You know? And the average age, um, you know, for girls and boys, it could be a little different, but, you know, it's anywhere between like 12 and 14 is a good estimate. There's lots of independent studies, um, you know, as we're still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always say the information never gets better. Yeah. It just, you know, it just exposes the problem more. And how long have you been involved with In Our Backyard? I first started as a volunteer around 20, um, well, when I first was introduced, I think it was 2012, mm-hmm. um, and I became a study volunteer around 2014 um, because they, they have an amazing mission focused around uh, raising awareness and missing children during the big Super Bowl game. So I was invited to volunteer there. And for 10 days before Super Bowl Sunday, uh, they partner with the city um, Super Bowl host committee. They, they rally around the city because, you know, whatever city is hosting, you've got all these tourists coming. There's uh, like almost like a festival party scene, Las Vegas strip uh, designated around the Super Bowl. So most people aren't going to get into the game, right? They, right? they can't afford the ticket, but they still come for that atmosphere, especially if their team is, is you know, in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we focus on all the party scenes beforehand. So it's not really like the football or the game that's the problem. It's it's about money too. You know, it's, it's marketing the party scene, the travel, everyone's coming. Um, there's good times all around you. And it just, yeah. however you see Las Vegas, it's, is very similar. So um, we focus on raising awareness with, with everyone in the city to say, hey, you know, missing children are at risk of being trafficked in the United States. Um, and putting those pieces together on, but we can do something about it. Um, traffickers will, you know, focus on areas where there's a party and a lot of people especially people who are having a good time. Um, so, you know, whether they, they, some myth out there is like the Super Bowl is the biggest day for human trafficking. And, and we're just trying to say there's a spotlight and an, an opportunity to say, well, they're gonna, they're gonna come near what mm-hmm. makes them money. Right. right yeah. um, it's a, it's a business. Um, no doubt. It's a violent business and it's a inhumane business, but that's how they see it. Um, so we, we focus on that. We partner with law enforcement and nonprofits and community leaders. We have law enforcement help us at a um, intelligence level. And we put together awesome um, investigative leads through our partners and help on those things and look for missing children. But I always say the coolest part is about a week before the Super Bowl starts, we do a community outreach looking for those missing children Mm -hmm. and they visit like gas stations, convenience stores, and they bring in the photos of the children and say, have you seen this child? Because if you think about it, um, when, when a child's being trafficked or taken from, let's say a hotel room to another hotel room, um, you know, they're, they're out on a, on a track, they'll say, and they need supplies. They need somewhere to clean up. 
Um, a lot of times that's the gas station bathroom. It's the convenience store restroom. Um, so we visit those stores to create that awareness, ask those stores to let their staff be trained um, because they're the ones who are open late. They're going to notice if a kid comes in over and over again or even a young adult. Um, and we usually have tips that day that we host that event. So volunteers come back and say, I have a tip. Someone saw this child and we directly will uh, look to help for that recovery and we just love serving law enforcement and the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children um, to help, you know, figure out how to how to make a difference it's within one week of Super Bowl and, and rely on the community. Like, it's about you guys. You guys can do it. So this past year we were in Tampa and uh, we had 36 children we were on the lookout for. And within one week, 14 were no longer missing. So, you know, wow. recovery is like that. Um, it's about getting the word out there. It, you know, it's not like volunteers are out there trying to rescue children right? Yeah. <laughs> that they see in the parking lot. You know, it's really utilizing the brains of the community and convenience stores can really step up and be the eyes and ears of the community for us. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's good that, that there's, you know, people like you that are super concerned about, I mean, everybody's concerned, but people that really, put forth the effort to find the kids or adults that are in this situation. I mean, and it's good to know you, you talked about how, um, you know, there's, there's, they say convenience stores, for instance, they, it's a good place to, I guess, find out where kids may be or whoever's missing because they, they could frequent certain stores or one store. And like you said, they, they get cleaned up. They, they pick up supplies and stuff like that. And, I know that I believe we talked about this before, but so there's things that you guys leave either with the, with people, with the convenience stores in the bathrooms, stickers and stuff like that. Right. That, that, I mean, you put them in, I mean, just wherever really, um, <laughs> just to ha to, to make people aware that they can reach out to people, um, or reach out to, you know, to you guys so that they can be found. Yeah. Um, with permission <laughs> yeah yeah right but no the point is is that uh i'm sure there's people that's probably seen those and just don't even think twice about it because yes. they're not in trouble but it's just good to know that that's that stuff's out there and it the, you know the links that you guys go to find these people um that are that are in trouble and yeah I don't think people realize i'll say it again i said it before they just don't realize the scope of this issue and you're talking about the United States alone. Yeah. You know, I don't yes. know what the numbers are for the entire planet, but just the United States alone, you know, and you said we were, we were the highest trafficked. Is that, was that right? For United States or your state? No, the United States. Oh yeah. Um, I don't think we're, we're up there. I think on average they can report about, between like 300 and 600,000 every year. 600,000 um, you know, every our, year. Yeah. So as we get, you know, smarter about statistics, we all have to say most of them are, you know, it's underreported. Um, I was going to say, so when you say it's 500, just, just say it's 500,000 people that are trafficked. Right. What, what category, how do they categorize that person in that list? So is it somebody that's, 
I mean, just uh, how do they categorize it? Is it just when somebody's missing or is it, I mean, how do they know that that person is being trafficked? So there's the International uh, Labor Organization and they have a whole plethora of industries they look at and there's a whole list and you can go to ILO, you know, .org anytime. Um, but then the Polaris Project helps with the hotline. Mm-hmm. So their reports are much more specific um, so, you know, when someone sees like, let's say in her backyard's freedom sticker and it's in that restroom stall of a convenience store and they call or text, uh, you know, they're, they're going to reach someone on the other side of the line and report maybe what's happening. And, and, you know, sometimes they want a resource. They're not sure how to quite exit safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so they start building those portfolios per state. So you can go to polarisproject.org and actually see like how your state is doing, um, and we also have all the resource lines that they call who also then funnel into this information to say, how many crisis calls have we he- heard of, you know, this year? Um, so it's the more we get the hotline number out, mm-hmm. the better we can do on measuring exactly, you know, what the numbers really are. So you said Polaris, is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, Polaris. Polaris.org? Polaris Project. Oh, Project. I was going to say, I'd probably probably pull up jet skis or something. You always Uh, like double think when people ask you questions because you're like, well, I type it all the time, but now that you're asking me. Well, I was just pulling it up because you said you could go and find out how your state is, right? Yeah, and it'll rank your state. Um, Like if I do a presentation, I'll look up the state. Okay. More specific because it just matters. You know, you wish, you know, everyone feels closer to the issue and that they can do more when they know locally how it's affecting them. Yeah. I just, I'd be curious to see where, where my state falls into that. <laughs> I would hope that it's pretty low. I want to say, huh? say you're number five, number five maybe. in the country. If you're at your best, you're maybe seven. <laughs> Is that, was, can you say that at your November. best? <laughs> I mean, it's nothing to laugh at, I know, but it's I mean, funny the way you put it. Every, everyone has work to do. Um, but yeah. your state, Georgia, has done a lot since since Super Bowl. So when you guys hosted Super Bowl in 2019, mm-hmm. um, the year before, they were already rallying on fighting this issue. Um, you guys have some, like, legislature going right. with freedom figures and, you know, yeah. um, you guys are, are working hard. So I, you know, kudos to your state. I don't want to, I don't want to rag on you guys. Well, I mean, um, look, we do what we can. We, we want to be the best. So, um, (laughs) but no, I mean, honestly, that's, you know, it's, I I fall into the category and real quick, can you just, can you slide over to, there you go. There's a set happening. Oh, is it? That's all right. It's good. It's good lighting on your face. Um, uh, So that's what, you know, I fall in that category of where I knew about human trafficking or I thought I knew about it. And again, you see movies, you see documentaries, but it kind of hits the highlights and it just, I don't want to say it glorifies it in a way because, you know, the movies are always found and it's no big, you know, it's no big deal and all this stuff. But once I, once I, you know, I met you um, through Heather and 
we got to talking more about it. I actually did research, my own research on it. I can't remember what I researched, but I did pull it up. And I just, I was curious about that. And I remember, that's why I asked you about my state, because I thought that Georgia was pretty high in the country as far as human trafficking, which surprised me, to be honest with you. I figured it would be like, and I could be right here, but I was, I figured it'd be somewhere like the Southwest would be like, like the Texas and the Arizonas and uh, California, you know, like Southern California. It's a place that are close to the border. seems like it would Mm be, uh, and like you mentioned earlier, Las Vegas and stuff. But anyway, one, you know, once I, once we started talking, I just, I got really interested in, in, how we could help and obviously we want we're trying to we're in the middle of trying to shoot a documentary and and highlight what you guys do it in our backyard and then you know kind of show um i guess kind of you know what really happens out there and how you guys go to work and do your thing and it's just it's interesting um it's interesting that there's actually that many people outside of say law enforcement that are in it I mean, just neck deep into it, trying to get these people out of trouble. Um, it's impressive to me. And I know it's a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. And I had asked you earlier, when, you know, when did you get involved within our backyard? Is there a, is there a, a reason that made you want to get involved with them? Or did, was it somebody you knew? Or did, was there something that you had maybe happen, you know, uh, to your, to you or somebody close to you? Um, that's a pretty cool story. I, I was trying to be a good parent and go to church on Sundays and find, you know, how I can like serve at the, at my church and volunteer. And I really failed at many areas. So I was in charge of gardening. I was in charge of gardening and there's flowers dead on a corner near the church, but I was just trying to find like how, how I can be, how, how I can show my kids, like, it's not all about us, right? We got to give back. And you know, the bigger picture in life is is not about you. Right. I don't, I don't want them to to think that way. Um, So I was trying to find cool ways and I was actually a dental hygienist um, when I first came out of college and I just happened to see my, the patients I had were a lot of the church staff and I would cry to them about, I'm not helping anybody with those flowers. And they said, what do you hate in the world? One person asked me that question mm-hmm. and that threw me. Cause I was trying to think of like, what do I love to do? Right. Cause that would make sense for me to do that. Mm-hmm. But she asked me, what do you hate in the world? And I remember watching Oprah in the middle of the night while nursing and Lisa Ling, I don't know if, yeah, she's still famous to me. Uh, right. <laughs> she did a report about human trafficking, and I said, I remember when she came on, like I wanted to throw up. Like I had a visceral, nauseating response to what I heard was happening. Um, so I said, Oh, you know, um, I guess I hate that. Like if I had to pick one thing I hate, I hate human trafficking, and that's what kind of launched everything for me. Was the church said, you know, well, maybe we could have some speakers come in. So I researched around here instead of international organizations and I found a book called In Our Backyard and read it and realized I knew someone uh, that, you know, one story was in there in one chapter and I, I, it was like reading what I had heard through, you know, how like 
you know, the, the mom calls an aunt and the aunt calls the best friend. And at Christmas time, you kind of, certain people will tell you what's really happening in the family, at, not just yeah. the pretty Christmas letter. Right. So it was like one of those chains. But I'd get little, like, snippets of this, like, toxic relationship. Um, and I honestly thought toxicity, um, emotional abuse, physical abuse, like domestic violence, like no, no one thought it was well. Right. Um, but when I read the, the story in the book, um, in our backyard by our founder, Nita Bells, I, it was like, you know, the, like the lens was, was ripped away. And I, and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is what's happening. And I remember calling, um, my friend and saying, you know, this is so-and-so story. Like we we're idiots. We are not getting the clues. We're not seeing the signs. Right. Um, we got to do something about this. So I felt invested at, at that point, you know, I felt invested and I reached out to the author, Anita Bells and said, would you come, you know, speak at our church? And that's how I met the author. And um, I felt the best way for me to do something was obviously freedom stickers but nita bells the founder said you know there's local nonprofits in your area already fighting human trafficking and i i didn't think there were honestly you know um i really didn't but i looked it up and lo and behold look at that you know so i would say look look up your city you're you'll be surprised there might be a safe house near you um so that was my role was to go out into the community and help people volunteer to local nonprofits in our, in our area. And that's when I just kept talking to Nita, giving her updates about like, look what's happening. You know, I still can't believe this happens right here. And then she invited me to serve at Super Bowl. So why is this? I'm, okay. I know why I know the Super Bowl is, is there's a ton of people there. We get that. We know. A ton of people um, there. But is, I mean, is that the only reason why the Super Bowl is like, it's like the king of, of human trafficking? I mean, because there's so many other things that are huge other than the Super Bowl, but it's, it's like, I know it attracts a ton of people. It attracts a, a ton of corporate people. Um, and like you said, there's, there's only, there's not, there's only, there's tens of thousands of people inside, but there's probably, you know, there's way more than that outside just partying and stuff like you said, like you mentioned earlier, that's what kind of what you look for, but why the Super Bowl? I mean, yeah, I mean, 12 years ago, no one was saying anything. So our founder, Anita Bells was like one of the first pioneers to kind of ring that bell really loud, you know, and there's a couple other nonprofits way back when Mm -hmm. who really made noise and had some PR focused strategies because we had to get this word out to America. Like people really don't want to know or see or admit, you know, that this is happening around us. So it really started out as a, an awareness campaign. Um, and you know, as media picks up stuff, you know, they want to target, um, you know, maybe a football player is, is arrested for, you know, buying sex the week before when they show up. It happens. It happened to my Atlanta Falcons when, when they went to the Super Bowl. first year they go and, I mean, it's like exactly. all of a sudden, here's all these players who got arrested for prostitution. It's like, come on, man, really? So right. I know right. it. Ha- it is people turn so, a blind eye to that because it happens so often that yeah. it's just like, oh, and, it's just what they do. And and it is an important 
part to mention because, you know, when you see those across the country stings and they, they put the males, you know, face up there, Mm -hmm. you know, you think they're a criminal, you know, but really they're doctors, they're teachers, you know, a lot of them are like well-equipped men. And, you know, we hope that when we can get that message across of, you know, is it really consent? If a, if a, if a traffic person can't say their own consent, it's not consent. Um, so it, it's not so much shame on you, right? It, it's more just like, do you really know who the other person is? Because mm-hmm. like, it's most likely not consent. You know, it's it, it's a hard topic. Um, so we, you know, I personally always like to speak on behalf of like awareness and, um, you know, not not man hating. I mm-hmm. think I think the better we can do about talking about the topic will help end that that demand of just a purchase, you know, like mm-hmm. purchasing someone's body. Um, of course, the majority is men. Mm-hmm. doesn't exclude women. Uh, there are women buyers. Um, there's There are women, you know, traffickers. Most of them have first been trafficked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes same for the boys too. Some of the boys who are traffickers or men who are traffickers, they were sexually abused as children, you know? So it's, it's just this gamut of sexual abuse on steroids, um, has a lot to do with it. Um, and just our society, you know, we're on demand and you can fall into that. You know, it's kind of that same thing. Like I want my kids to know it's, it's not all about your needs. You know what I mean? Like someone else matters. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that matters, but it, but it's hard. We live in a, we live in a capitalistic, consumer we're taught to consume um but super bowl is just it's full of that it's like all well it's it's all the fanfare and everything that people look at they don't look at everything that goes around that that happens that is bad like human trafficking and and i do want to say that i know when we talk about human trafficking the mind again i think defaults to sex prostitution but it doesn't always it is not just that i mean people are people are bought and sold to for just for work and yeah. i don't know how much in this country but you you, you know what happens in other countries because they they may get paid you know pennies on the day so they say but they're they're in these sweatshops and stuff like that people get bought right. and sold into those places every day uh, yeah and that's the formula like i want people to hear because i know some of us are always going to sit with that like but it's their business, you know, like if, if it's two consenting adults, what they do on their time is their time. Um, but the, the sex formula to make money is not about the body that's selling the sex. Right. It's only advantages the sex buyer, right? And maybe the trafficker or the brothel operator. But the person who's selling the sex is actually the one being used, like as if they're the drug, right? Mm-hmm. It's their body. So they're taking the biggest hit, but the system's built where it's going to benefit most of those other people. So there's not really like a big payoff or win um, for the person who's selling the sex. And, and people have a hard time understanding that. I think if we think of like the word pimp, you mm-hmm. think protection, right? You, well, they're protecting. They're pay. protecting their property. They're protecting their money. That's what they're protecting. Right. They don't care about the women. No. They don't care about the they men. And even not. even the women that 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 pimp out, you know, men. I mean, it, the the problem is that the pimps are there to make money. They're not. Yes. They're not there to console you. 
because some guy mistreated you. It's just get back out there and do your thing and, yeah. you know, make me some money. That's what it's about. It's a business. I always say they don't take pay cuts. You know, <laughs> the, the person selling the sex is the one who takes the pay cut. And it's usually yeah. 100% of a pay cut yeah. every time. So yeah, and unless the know, woman walks in, a woman or man walks in there and just says, hey, I want to sign up to be a prostitute. I mean, chances are you're kind of thrust into that situation at, because of a situation that's out of your hands. It could be anything. It could be, um, it could be your 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 traffic to your taken to to go you know to do that for somebody sold to somebody, or you could be down and out and just like you. I think you mentioned at the beginning, you're vulnerable. You know, you go yeah. somewhere, take uh, California, for instance, Hollywood. I mean, it's it's the big city of dreams, and most of the time they're crushed, you know, because people go out there, they follow their dreams, want to be actors, singers, and all that. doesn't happen. They're down on their luck. They don't know what to do. And next thing you know, they, they turn to somebody who they think is going to help them. And, I mean, porn industry, for instance, you know, so here you go. Yeah. Now you're taking this person into, to, you know, pornography, and they're making – they're making money, but they're not making part of that, you know, they're not making those billions of dollars, you know, right. that, that are made. It's, it's, it's really pennies on the dollar and it's right. only, it's probably only a fraction of a fraction of people that even make a decent living that want to actually be in it because of that. Right. And then you have the mass percentage of them that are probably in it just because somebody brought them into it, you know? Uh, whether they right. wanted to be in it or not, but um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it, there's there's a wide range of ways to be human track or reasons to be human trafficked. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to kind of touch on that. That it's not just it's not about the sex all the time. It is you know people do get trafficked for other things. Um, it's just still amazing to me that the number is so high. I mean, it's it's right, incredible. It's like, you know, that awareness of like, it is a crime, you know, yeah. it's criminal activity, yet it's pervasive everywhere. You know? I mean, that's um, like, if you take our city where I live, if you take the county to where I live, that's like taking the whole entire county of where I live and human traffic everybody at the same time. That's, yeah. I mean, that is, that's crazy. That's a lot of people. I don't live in a big city, yeah. but I live in Savannah, but it's the county is still not that big, but still when you look at 500,000 people that could be here, that's, that's wiping out, you know, an entire right. County and a, you know, around a decent sized city. So, um, I don't know. That's a lot of people anyway. So, um, I, I do want you, I was going to do this at the beginning, but I waited cause I wanted to talk about how you're involved in, in our backyard and, and the whole situation and all that. And, um, but, I do know that we were going to, we wanted to talk about, we wanted you, or I wanted you to tell your story um, that you said you could tell in like two minutes or whatever. It doesn't matter. You take as long as you want, but I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear your story. Um, and, I, and I'm assuming that that probably plays into um, parts of uh, maybe why you lean towards getting into helping human trafficking too at some point. Um, but anyway, I want to give you the floor. I want you to, to be able to, to tell that, to tell that story. If you feel like it. you don't have to, but if you feel like it. So I can change my mind. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, yes, it's you can't. Or I could edit it out. One of the two. You tell me. So no, I will. I will say it takes a relationship. So again, um, you know, my my two minute version would be the CNN interview that mm. I shockingly had actually in Atlanta for Super Bowl mm-hmm. it was the first time a reporter came up to me and I could say honestly that the only part I cried about mm-hmm. was talking about the hope of why I do this mm-hmm. but of course they edited it and made it look like I was crying while I told my story and I was so mm-hmm. mad because I was so proud I didn't cry you know it's, seen, it's <laughs> so, CNN so, I don't that's know if, how it's CNN. reporters work uh, yeah it's CNN CNN. So, I don't know if anybody listens to this, listen to CNN, but CNN's terrible. So. <laughs> all news, Sorry. all news places suck. They edit to, to, to go towards their agenda. I do not edit on my podcast. So, right. uh, um, but I also, we so talk I, about whatever you want to. And if you don't feel like it, it's, it's your choice too. So. Yeah. Um, no. So just, you know, hanging out, you know, just a few times, you know, it opens up that, that sacred space of like, Hey, there's, there's trust, you know, here and, and, you know, not every story is different. So I always start out with, you know, like my story is not going to be exactly like someone else's story. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, there's the movie taken, there's pretty woman, um, you know, but, but we got to remember that, you know, my story is just like one in a million, you know? Um, so I like to think about, what you just said, like what got me into this work, what have I learned to really think about my own story? Like what, what about my story needs to be heard, you know, that has purpose. Um, and I always say I worked in this, you know, cause I would say for a year and a half, um, knowing a, that I was sexually abused, knew I was abused. I always knew I had multiple abusers, Um, but the first time I started volunteering for local nonprofits, um, I was helping at a safe house for minors who are trafficked in Chicago through the Salvation Army. And we'd come in like on a Saturday, do arts and crafts and whatever we could do to just, you know, offer some fun and difference for the weekend. And we asked the girls, um, it was all girl home, uh, you know, what, we asked some dream cast questions, you know, like what, what's your dream car? What, what car would you buy if you had no limit today? And, and one gal said, um, I, I'd buy a Cadillac. And that was my first moment. I can't explain what happened to me, but I got dizzy. I started seeing stuff. (laughs) I almost passed out. I held it all together and just, you know, I didn't know what was happening to me, but I remembered a Cadillac that I was set up on for dates when I was a child. Um, and that was shocking to me because for about a year, I was out there speaking at community events saying, survivors of human trafficking don't even know that they were trafficked. They know they were abused. They right. know harm has happened, but they're not gonna walk up to you and say, please help me, I'm being trafficked. There's cases that does happen, because sometimes it is a kidnapping and violent that does happen. But for a lot of us, it's, it's, you know, you, you're brought into it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not aware of your surroundings at all. Um, so f- I think it's unique that, you know, there's this half of my story where I didn't identify 
um, as a human trafficking survivor. I still don't. Like, it's not in my, like, my auto response would be like, that's not what that was. Like, that didn't really happen. Um, because we just can't, you can't hold that. You know, it's like, it's like you died, but you didn't, you know. <laughs> so, like, right. so, so that's what kind of stirred this journey for me was that one moment where I had a memory that I, I couldn't deny and I had to figure out what to do with it. So obviously I went and saw a counselor um, because I felt like I, I couldn't help people unless I'm helped first, right? Like we can't really do a good job unless we're well. Um, so I did a lot of um, counseling story groups, um, which is like group therapy. And each time you meet, you have to tell like, like a memory as like a cute little story. Not that it's cute, but um, so through these stories that I could remember, I'd have to process them, write them down, speak to them, speak them out loud with witnesses. And that's hard work. Yeah, like, I don't I'm know, sure. no one wants to go to counseling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no one wants to sit in that seat, let alone with yeah. other people. Um, but that's what helped me. Um, it helped me re-enter areas of, of my childhood. So there's like this one story in my brain that I had a friend, right? But then there's this other story where it's like challenging that for me. Uh, they probably were a trafficker. So when we think about Sweden and Stockholm syndrome, it's real. Like where you can get the hostages to depend on the robbers that flip in your brain. That's, that's true. It really does happen. So for me, my story started, um, I confided in a, in a friend about my sexual abuse that was happening. Um, and you know, it's between the first conversations would be, um, you know, like second grade, but then third grade, you know, things, things get a little, a little fishy for me. Um, so I remember, uh, being raped by this friend, right? I remember, um, really being scared of the family, their family's dog. And I'm talking like this dog's not allowing me to leave a room, um, unless I, you know, unless I stay in that bed and I can't always remember if my clothes are on or off. So just these like childhood horror nightmare moments that would just keep coming back to me. Um, there's specific memories that challenge that best friend vision that I walk with. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the dog biting behind my knees as I would walk into a bedroom, right, to meet someone and shut the door and do what I'm supposed to do. So in this home, that kind of became like a, you know, a a hell house for me, honestly. Um, I would walk out of the bedroom and in the family room, they'd have porn playing and like, you know, males sitting in the room. So almost like a prep before I would have to come and and be on my next date. So how did I get there? Yeah. I'm sorry. Who's, yeah, how did you get whose house was that? So, um someone on the bu- the bus route, right? The I would bus say that route? close. And yeah, and there's safety issues for me, so I don't go into too detail. No, 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 um, that's that's fine. Look, it's yeah, whatever you feel comfortable. Would be a good would be a good uh good way to put it. Walking distance and again, I'm still going to school. I come from a two-parent home. Um but, you know, I, 
I I don't want to say I joke, but living in a ranch home didn't help because the access to leave in the middle of the night was much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely had this double life happening. Um, so I do remember best that Cadillac, right? So the first time I entered that car for a date, um, I was told that the coolest boy in school liked me and he wanted to, you know, date me. Mm -hmm. And that's how they got me in that car. Um, I was alone in the car and then he entered the car and I thought, you know, here, here's my chance. I was told what he wanted to do with me and I did it. And I remember there was no talking. He just got up and left the car and shut the door. And I remember being very young thinking like, what did I do wrong? And why does he not want to be my boyfriend? So you can hear that like innocence of it wasn't pretty woman, right? It's not like loitering on cars. I was set up. um, And I saw him talk to my best friend who set up the date. Um, I never thought I would be asked to go on another date after that. I I was that clueless, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But he lovingly said, you know, your Christian family, um, you know, would never want to hear what a bad girl you are. And um, you're not as good as you say you are. You know, pretty much look what you're made to do. You're made to be used for sex. Right. Um, so he's, he's solidifying all the insecurities of my abuse, right, in that moment. And that's grooming me to understand this is what I'm worth. It's nothing. And that you're right? not worth anything. And to this keep is you what there. I'm made to do. No. And I was already questioning that from abuse. You know what I mean? So it's just like they say, that's why they say so many people who are sexually abused end up being trafficked because we're, it, it's, we're just an open wound, you know, looking for belonging. And some people will just take advantage of that. They know they can. So that's like the, the rough intro of, of how did I get there? And then why did I stay Um, I knew to stay after the rape, after the terror I would experience with that dog. Um, There are places my body went, right, Mm. to protect me and my memories um, as a child. So that emotional abuse is just as um, powerful and and hurtful as the physical abuse and the sexual abuse. Um, So to feel entrapped that I have to show up on whatever night I'm told to see more dates, um, I'm going to do it because when I, when I do what I'm supposed to do, he treats me like the best friend I always wanted. Mm -hmm. I've had some of the deepest and everyone who's been abused or in a toxic relationship or maybe with a narcissist knows that when it's good, it's really good. Mm -hmm. Right. But then the other shoe drops. Mm -hmm. So, you learn it's like you're automated to just try to keep it good, you know, and, and have those, have those moments. Cause it's not worth revisiting what you know can happen. Um, so that went on for, you know, through grade school for me. Um, the males never were adults. I always say like everyone has a challenge with like, what, you know, I mean, older boys have no excuse, high schoolers, things like that. I mean, I'm nine or 10 years old. It's not okay. Um, but this well, it's is not okay at any age, but yeah, not definitely okay, not that. But you can hear why I would discount 
you know, my, my own story. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't what I saw in the terror movies in the kidnapping scene. You know, like I'm not thinking to myself, Oh, I'm, I'm for sure exploited and, and trafficked. You know, I'm still not sure if my story counts, right? Well, that's what and I was saying just, that it's not, it's, it, I think we're programmed to think one way because of the movies, because of what you see on yeah. TV shows. And you think it's that way. That is, if it's not that, then it's not human trafficking. You know, yeah. if it's not, and if it's not done like that, it's way, not bad. Yeah. And the abusers have a way of making you feel like it's not that bad. It's just you, you should be grateful you know, that you're here with me, like Mm -hmm. just the nonsense that's placed in your brain is unimaginable, you know? So we're already programmed a certain way to, to accept the abuse as if we're lucky to have it, you know? Um, and that's, that's a hard, hard thing. Um, money that would be exchanged outside the car. I was pretty young. Oh, I saw it, but I thought it was for drugs. I never thought it was for me, you know? Um, you said you were nine and 10 at that, when that was going on. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. yeah. So third grade. My for son, sure was, my youngest son is nine right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's um, you know, our bodies know how to turn on performance, and I think everyone who's been touched or gone too far in an abusive situation, like you, you just learn to turn on and go with society, and then there's this dark place that no one sees. You know, Um, and and we all walk around. Right. And we don't know what's really happening on on the other side. So but I mean, nowadays, the average age to see porn is nine. Um, Yeah, but it's like readily available. I mean, you can accidentally pull it up at any age just because you you, because in your mind you go, I want to look this up. And whatever you type, that word that you type can I mean, it's like a huge chance that it could be associated with porn. In some way, porn purposely does that, you know, but they're, you know, they're not for child abuse, but they, you know, they turn those pony gronies and all all that stuff. It is. Yes. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. They can find it. That's what scares me about. So so you have kids, Mm -hmm. right? How many kids do you have? I have three and my oldest is 21. 21 to what age? (laughs) Well, how was the youngest? 10. 10. Okay. So you're not, you're not, you're pretty close. Well, you're, uh, I'm a little bit different. I mean, I, my oldest actually just turned, how old did he turn? Um, 20, <laughs> 26, just turned 26. Okay. Uh, and then I have a daughter that is um, 23. And then I have a son that's um, nine. And then I have, I, I got to remember these ages. Um, and then my youngest is 18 months. So, and it's, oh, it's, it's my, it's my long way to go. My, but I don't, it, it doesn't, but you know what though? It's fun. I mean, I, it's just, it's fun. I mean, if, if, if I could hit the lottery, I would have 15 kids. You know, one of those. Yeah, we're, we're good. <laughs> no, look, I mean, in reality, yeah, I mean, I'm good, but if I if if I had the money to take care of him and give him everything that I need, I would have no problem yes. because um more so now than ever, I just I believe in a big family. I mean, it's just it's yeah. because when you get older, the best thing to do is to have a big family around you. It just is. You know, it's comforting. It and and I mean, 
I never, I thought about it when I was younger and I didn't really think about it as much now, but my, my wife has said it several times and it just, it started to sink in. It's like, you know what? You're right. It is. I mean, it's great. You see these people with like 15 kids at Christmas that are, that are anywhere from, you know, teens to grown. It's just, it's a good thing, but not to get off topic. Yeah. But anyway, the point was, is you have kids ranging yeah. all ages. Obviously that makes you, and I didn't mean to cut you off from your story, but it makes you more protective for sure. I mean, you're always oh, protective, yeah. But being in the yeah. situation that you were in and the things that you recall and, yeah. you know, you, I'm, I'm sure you think about it from time to time. You don't want to, but things happen in life that kind of brings back memories, bad memories. Yes. Um, but you look at your kids and you go, that's I'm not like going to happen to my I'm kids. I am a roaring elephant. Um, my daughter's now engaged uh, as of last month. Oh, well, congratulations. Her, yeah. So her fiance uh, came around when he was like 16. Okay. Um, and I would run down the stairs and just scream his name to just see him jump because I wanted him to know that you're not going to fear my husband. You're going to fear me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and well, most, time, most guys, <laughs> most guys fear the, the um the father you want to you want to make the father happy you want to be the father's friend but for the most part and this is coming from a guy it's the mom that you want to woo you want that mom to to love you like a child so you will do whatever it takes to make sure you know the dad says be home by 10 yes sir the mom says be home by 10 you want to have make sure that the daughter's there a few minutes earlier you know so it's it's definitely the mom I took his parents out and yeah. said to them, um, I will not like your son. I want you to know you raised probably a great son, but it's my job to not like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will know where he stands at all times that my daughter is first to me. And at one point, and he really is the sweetest boy. Yeah. <laughs> he really, I mean, he was well, so it's, frightful. It's me. surprising that he's bad. marrying your daughter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a good guy. So it but, says a I lot. mean, I'm, I'm very direct, and I said to him one time, like, you know, I, I will hang you by your penis and yeah. let you rot to dry if you ever come near her. And he just, like, his poor little face was like, I, I don't have any of these evil yeah. thoughts coming, you know. So it was a weird, it was a nice dynamic for me to learn, like, again, like, my husband is so kind and respectful. Like, I know there's good men out there. You know, but it's still in me to not trust, you know. So for me, I had to learn, okay, maybe I could be a little kinder. And we're actually really close. We're really close now. But the saying saying is when you have a son, you have to worry about one, right? You have a daughter, (laughs) you got to worry about a million of them. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a huge job to raise a daughter. and the smartphone thing, you know, I, 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 it's a sac, it's a sacrifice of my life. Like mm-hmm. we have iPhones and you cannot restrict iPhones for your kids. If you think you can, you can't. They, they, they're, they're so focused on freedom of speech and, and privacy that it, it's, I don't care what you put on there. It's not going to work. Um, so we share our ID, but for parents, that means your kids see every text you send out. Mm-hmm. 
two. Yeah, so that ain't that ain't gonna happen. I mean, what I what I talk when me and my wife talk, I mean, it's <laughs> kids aren't gonna see what my wife and I talk about. It's just not gonna happen. Not that it's that bad. It's just sometimes we talk about them, so I don't want them to see it. They when I when I tell them something, I'll tell them. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's it's difficult for us as parents, but that's the only way I felt like I could really. You know, and I don't try to look at what they have, but if I ever yeah. needed to, you know, and I think I think the number one thing I could say is, um, you know, when you sign up for that phone for a child, mm-hmm. um, they don't pick the password. They don't pick the passcode. Well, yeah, um, and that's, yeah. You need access. You are in charge of that phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and some parents are trying to protect privacy. And this isn't See, a that's kind of where I, 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 that's, that's my downfall. See, my wife now, my, she, my, the 10 year old, I mean, the nine year old does not have, I keep saying 10, he's going to be 10, but he's nine. And we talk about getting him a phone and look, he has, he has a, uh, an iMac, uh, the desktop and then he has a MacBook, right? Pro. And that we didn't buy it for him. They were my computers, but I used them for a long time and they've just, yeah. I've had to completely reset it. And then I let them use it for school. So it's not like yeah, we went out and bought your it. Next one. <laughs> yeah. It's not like I went send out, yeah, we didn't buy it for him. So, but he's just lucky that the, the business that I'm in, I, I burned through them. Right. So yeah. on, on the good side is that he gets that he gets the luxury of using them. But anyway, the, the point is my wife is like, look, well, we're, I'm going to go through his stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. And kudos to her because I grew up in a time where it was about privacy, but you also right. monitor it. You, you kind of watch what went on and you could figure it out and you right. go, okay, something's up. And then you would start to dig. I'm my downfall is that I'm like, I like to trust and sometimes it's too much, but I like to, I like to, I like to be able to, to win that, trust from somebody I, I want to be able to say okay i can trust mm-hmm. you to do this right can you hear something wrong yes i can no we're good oh, okay uh, so I, w- I want to be able to say okay i trust you right and then they can do what they want I, and then let them see let, let see how long you can let them go before they ruin that trust that's how i was right. raised i was like look i will let you go out you can go out all hours of the night i don't care party do whatever you want to now, when right. you when I can't trust you anymore, that's when I pull it back, and now you don't go out. Now you don't party. Now you don't see your friends. So it taught right. me, okay, I, I need to walk that line. I can go out and have fun and do everything I want to do, but I need to do it the right way so that I can keep my parents' trust, and they'll let me to continue to do it. Because if not, it'll be like a lot of my friends that were in jail and stuff like that, and they were on restriction for months at a time. And then I couldn't go anywhere anyway because I had nobody to go out with. So... But I was the one that was never in jail, that was doing the partying, but I was at home at the right time. So anyway, it goes back to that, how I was raised. And I want to trust, but these days and time, it's and it kind of circles it back around. I mean, you don't know. You want to protect yeah. your kids because right. my uh, my nine-year-old was playing PlayStation. It was, when did we get the PlayStation? Was it last year? It was either last year or year before for Christmas. We, we, we were like, okay, let's get one for him. Actually, I said it. My wife said no, but I got it for him. And so, and then I got the headset for him to play so he could play with friends. And I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I have to do the settings and I did all that. But somehow 
one day I was listening and he was playing with somebody and you could hear cussing and stuff like that going on. And I was like, let me listen to that. And then I said it and then I turned it off. And then, so after that, my wife and I started to just be more aware of what was going on. And there's times she'll listen and stuff. Yeah. Like he'll go to the bathroom and she'll put the headset on to see what's being said. Um, yes. Which I'm okay with now because I understand that, you know, there's a lot of language and stuff in there that, that little kids are saying. Yes. Not saying that I it's was like perfect as a kid, but right. to hear as a grown up to hear a kid say that when you're a kid, you're like, who cares? But when you're an adult and you hear a kid say it, it's like, whoa, wait a second. You know, do you yeah. even know how to use I that think, word right? I mean, so I don't know. I think it's, like a lot of us, you're either on the, you know, the Internet side growing up memories or you're on the Sandlot side. Yeah, And I'm on the Sandlot side like that movie. Oh, yeah connected with you know goonies mm -hmm. while my kids like i remember my when she was one my youngest she walked up to the tv and started pushing the screen you know because she thinks it's a touch screen big yeah. ipad and that's why mm -hmm. you this is different <laughs> my 18 our 18 month old that's what she swipes everything i mean yes. she gets on the phone she gets on the oh, phone yeah, it's, it's like wait a second how do you know i mean it's like it there it's like it's born into their their yes. DNA now. You know, it's like automatically so it's, come out swiping, you know, right or left. It's crazy how they yeah. know that. But they they, they see you do it. It's they just like learning anything it, else. So. It's just like speaking or, you know, picking something up. They just know that's what mom and dad do, so that's what I'm doing. Right. So. so it's it's tough. Um protecting your kids is I would say you know, do what works for you. Mm -hmm. I can't sit there and, and not look, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, while other parents, I mean, they feel bad looking like you get, I mean, find your, find your place, but just don't think everything's great. Check in, yeah. do the verbal into, you know? Um, yeah. So back to where I think I was, um, yeah, we're interrupted. I'm sorry. We, yeah. So it was just that I, you know, that, that first moment, I got stuck in it. Um, but I, I still would have never thought, you know, I still questioned, like, as I looked at those memories as an adult after that safe house visit, mm -hmm. it was still hard for me to understand, like, you know, well, I don't know how much money they paid. I don't understand. You know, like, I kind of wanted all the details I think we all want mm -hmm. to know in every story. You know, right. I think that's what makes my story unique. Like, I was just as hungry to hear well, tell me what it was and how do how did it happen exactly? Um, but it 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 takes a long time usually. Like people think they're just kidnapped. Um, it's usually a, a three months to a year, you know, slow relationship that's built to get that dependency of someone 100% dependent on this one person. Mm -hmm. So I think we think of like you know, uh, like a, a pimp has what 50 girls in a stable or, or something like that. And, and that, that happens. There are trafficking rings and things like that too. But a lot of times it's just one Romeo trafficker with one girl at a time or, or two girls at a time. Cause it, there is this like connection and, and that, that bonding, that Stockholm syndrome that they rely on. But when you think about how much money is made, I think it's like 500,000 a year for one victim of trafficking it's it's worth their time so that should boggle your brain 
That's yeah. I mean, that's, you know, so it's, it's, it's lucrative, you know? So everyone's like, well, how they want to look at us, the victim or survivor and say, how does this land in there? It's like, well, it's a, it's a long grooming process. Mm -hmm. And for us to know exactly which turn went where um, it's supposed to be muddled because that's how they, they get you dependent on them. So I was fully dependent on um, this best friend of mine. And, um, but there were no smartphones. There were no pagers yet, you know? So they, I mean, they literally would call my house phone with the dial thing um, and act like they were nice, you know, kids throughout the blocks of the neighborhood, you know? Um, So anyway, so the point of that is how did I get out? Right? Like we know awful things are happening. Um, How, how do I get out? I, I remember every night, you know, I'd pray to God just like with my eyes open and, um, just feel so much shame. Like first I would apologize for what was happening to me and how I was doing these things I didn't want to do. Um, and that makes me angry that like Mm -hmm. somehow society taught us that, you know, we're the dirty ones. Um, and I would have to like hold that tension of like, am I still here because my body's confused and the minute there's pleasure, there's violence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, why don't I run out of the room? Why don't I scream or or fight back more? Like I fought back once, but then the dog came and I'm not going to win against the dog. Mm -hmm. Um, There was times where I'd mouth off, but then I was offered like really yummy Kool-Aid because my mom wouldn't let us have Kool-Aid as much. And for us to think like, do you really think it's that regular Kool-Aid or there's something in the Mm Kool-Aid? So it's like whatever I tried, I was one-upped or outsmarted or just shown again, like you're not, you're not in charge. Um, But junior high was coming and junior high, there's buses and I could take a bus and be stuck on a bus with him and walk roads home. You know, we had, less buses back then. It was a long walk. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew if I could join a team, I wouldn't have to come home after school. I would be stuck at practice. And that was the first time I thought maybe junior high could be different. Like elementary school, who I was like, I can change this in junior high. And it was a battle. Um, I made the team barely. I was kind of a street kid. Um, I made the B team and what team, what team was that? Basketball. Okay. And within six weeks, um, we were conference champions, and I was on first string starter center. All right. Um, it was amazing. But I had I had a reason to fight. You know, that was my yeah. fight, was finding new support, being around coaches that were men that, like, didn't see me as – like honestly a sex toy. Like I thought I had to be sex all the time and I'm what in seventh grade, how old am I? 12, 13. I mean, I'm trained to be that. Um, so that kind of loosened the grip of him controlling where I was right. Right. And getting a hold of me. Um, and then this weird moment happens where I can tell he's not happy, but you know, in public he's, yeah. You know, playing a game, sweet cheeked and smiled, but yeah. I know what'll happen, you know? Um, and he, he pulled this weird move where he tried to have me go on a date 
with one of like the worst guys in our community. And it actually finally insulted me. Like, I kind of felt like saying like, okay, like I might do these things cause you tell me to, but like not him, right. you know, yeah. uh, it like, it like upset me. And I remember kind of like standing up to him about it and saying like, no, I won't, I won't see that person. The next person came around that he wanted me to date. And this was a big dude. This guy is big. This guy was the first male I met that I knew he was going to probably rape me like the first time I was raped. Um, this was a initiation, um, felt more like a gang vibe. Um, I knew I was smart enough to know this is a moment to kind of do or die. Like, is this like, if I do this, I'm never getting out. And I know the rest of junior high will stay the way it is. You know, am I, am I going to do this? And I politely smiled and flirted with him and walked away and said I had to go or, you know, I made up some lies. They called my house. I lied again saying I had like my aunt's birthday. And I remember that was the first time my mom heard me lie on the phone and she was like, who's, whose birthday are we going to? And I was like, oh, I still want to hang out with them. Hung up the phone and get out of it. Um, and then I met some girls who were following me and those are the same girls that he started recruiting, um, from the high school. And I, and I knew, you know, there was some gang affiliation, um, and I knew they were coming for me. <laughs> so I don't know if you had a, had a trick bike when you were little, like I had a dyno and a diamond back, but anyway, oh. some people might know. Well, those. I had, well, I had, well, I didn't, I had a, a GT, uh, yeah, maybe. Well, something like a mongoose. You know, mongoose, yeah. yes. okay. Well, we, we, we so took good. all those bikes and, and tore them apart and then built our own bike. That's what we did. <laughs> so. We had like pegs on the front and yes. pegs on the back. Yes. yes. So, you know, I, I was on the pegs on my own bike with my friend who was riding the bike to subway. Like we don't have cars yet, you know? Um, and they, you know, they came after me and they, you know, beat me up like any other gang would and they stay within your tree trunk zone. Um, so it doesn't show. And I remember thinking, I, a, I love my friend cause she's innocent. Mm -hmm. Like some kids had no idea this underground, you know, stuff that happens. And she was like, why, why on earth would they want to beat your ass? You mm -hmm. know, like, cause I'm such this nice kid. Like what, like what she can understand what I did. And I remember just protecting her and just being like, I don't know. I, th I think you mouth like I blamed it on her. Of course, I was like, she's kind of mouthy. I was like, I don't know. You you must have looked at them funny or mouthed off on them. But they're they're older girls and they just pick on little kids. I don't know. And I just took it. Um, so the importance of that story is it's that story that makes me realize why I can't say any longer that I wasn't trafficked because years ago, like five years ago. We were, I was involved in helping a uh, gal who was trafficked and, um, you know, I, we help them maybe talk to the FBI if there's that much risk involved, you know, some, some people who are trafficked might just need a safe house. Mm -hmm. They might just need to get reunited back with a safe person in their family. Um, but there are cases where, you know, we can press charges or, you know, get them to safety. So we were speaking with the FBI and they called me later to let me know that uh, I had re, you know, re-localized her 
only like a mile away from her trafficker. And obviously we want to keep them safe, right? right. And, and about 15 miles away. And these are all different nonprofits who work together. Um, so I, I remember hearing, you know, when I listen to someone's story, I don't need his name and number. Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I'm trying to hear them. So I just happened to think like, I felt a little worried because I was going, we go into those, wherever they're staying, we'll clean out the room and leave a clean slate, get them out of there and they just poof, disappear, right? We just try to end it clean cut. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's no retaliation and get them safe. Um, so I felt like, wow, I should look this person up. And I just, you know, midnight in bed next to my husband, Facebook, 300 mutual friends with this guy. And I like stopped breathing because I was like, hey, how did I not recognize his name? You know what I mean? Like just Mm -hmm. as a human. Um, So I looked at his profile photo and it was the guy that I wouldn't date. Really? So here I am questioning, you know, like did what happened to me really happen? And confronting me in my face is his face. Yeah. That guy. And I didn't know what to do. Facebook. So the next morning we were getting her out of state through like a, you know, underground railroad, uh, like some churches will come together and they pick you up and they drive away and then they mm-hmm. drop you off the next spot. We try to avoid bus routes um, because it's just, they go to like two in the morning and they're by themselves. Um, so I see her the next morning and I said, you know, I don't want to take away from your story because like you can, like everything triggers, you know what I mean? Like I can say something even in my story that might trigger something else's story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, but I gotta tell you, like, <laughs> I, I know him, you know? Um, he, I, I happened to tell her my, like I usually share my story. And I said, he's the guy I wouldn't date. I felt fear from him. And she said, oh, who is your, you know, who's your pimp? I said his name, she goes, oh, I know you know, he roots at the, you know, as a back. I didn't know what to do. You know, I, somewhere in my heart, I thought all of the kids, you know, like I thought grew up out of it. You would too. You know what I mean? Like, like he had the same as I did to do better. Um, to hear him and continue to cycle of violence. I'm just, maybe I was like his first, you know, it just spun for, yeah. for another two years. Um, so I couldn't deny what was happening to me. And, and if you go to counseling, go and you ask smart people who understand story, uh, what questions do they ask? They'll ask you about like, who else is at the scene? Yeah. Who else is in that room? And those are the questions that really help me understand stuff. So in my story, I'm stuck between me and him. There's a relationship happening. But what I forget to look at is, you know, where is his dad? And then it's like, oh, yeah, there's a couple other characters in the story that I could tell you about. And his dad has high involvement. Um, In the end, you know, there's video cameras um, I remember blatantly saying, I know that video is recording because the red light is on and him saying, no, no, that's not how they work. 
and I'm so scared. I couldn't believe I even spoke up, but I was so scared. I knew he, I knew he was lying to me back then when he said that, because I had a video camera at home. Right. And when you hit the record, you know, the red light goes on. Right. Red but light's I, on you know, right now There's these this. things that come back. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's things like that where if you take that, like the drone view or panoramic view, um, you know, his dad is, is the master manipulator right. um, grooming his son to do these things to girls That's his crazy. age. It's right. It just blows your brain. Um, and in the end, I, there's so much trauma between me and his dad, even though there's like this unspoken language, when I'm in that car, his dad's in the door of the house watching and I only know he's there because of the light of his cigar lights up. And I remember feeling like, Oh my gosh, he's caught me. I'll be in trouble. I never thought, you know, he's, he's the one coordinating. You know what I mean? So, So child trafficking, a, we don't know what's happening, right? Like we don't know that's what's happening to us as a child. Um, As a child. And, no, because you're made to believe it, that it, it's you. You think that it's there's something. I'm and I'm just imagining this because it didn't happen to me. But it's like something forms in your mind that it's it's bad. You know that it's not supposed to happen. You know that's not what other kids are doing. Yes, but then they make you feel that. like yeah. But they make you feel like look, it's either yeah. okay or they. I would they terrify you into not telling somebody or telling or trying to convince you that, like you said earlier, this is all you're worth, you know, and you know, they keep feeding you whatever it takes to, to keep you in that situation. And I knew if I believed, I should say that if I got in trouble or if I told I'd be in just as much trouble as him because it's forbidden things as a kid. But were you scared? So you didn't, you never went to your parents at any time. Um, there's moments of, you know, I think everyone's trying to tell mm-hmm. and like sits right there. Yeah. Um, but you're scared to tell them. It just wouldn't come out. Right. Um, I was ready to tell, I think I froze you again. That's there okay. you go. Yeah. Um, I was ready to tell one time in school because officer friendly was coming and I was ready to tell. Right. And, um, was that his real name? It, no. Uh, Whoever your officer is that comes in your school, we just call officer friendly. Oh, uh, okay. Like it, it was like a campaign, I think. Oh, okay. Um, from like the dog McGruff or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. um, That's I was weird. ready to tell. I couldn't wait. I was like, this is my moment. And they talked about drugs. And I'd seen all the drugs around the house. You know, there's multitudes of, of crime happening there. Um, and then they showed this poster of a black and blue eyed physically beaten kid holding the stuffed animal and crying. And I saw that poster and decided not to tell because I felt bad for that kid. Wow. And I really thought like, dang, I don't have it that bad. How does there's so I many mean, kids that feel that same way? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's so when we tell our trauma stories, sometimes we think it's helping you know, but it also is like, can be just as harmful. So that's why I'm always like, every story is different. Every harm matters. You know, um, it, it's really weird how we 
put ourselves down, right? Yeah. Like we put ourselves last. Um, so it just amazes me. But um, just to make sure I close that harm with his, with the dad and all that and the cameras, um, you know, so yes, I was, I was pimped out, right. By a boy, just a couple years older than me, but overall same age bracket. Um, but there's, there's most likely, you know, when I take my stories to, to counselors and help and, and figure out all the parts I don't want to look at it, it, it definitely rings that bell of, you know, where did that tape go? Right. The recording Mm -hmm. sounds like dad's in charge, probably pedophile, you know, child trafficking ring on, on porn, stuff like that. But what I, but I, what I like to speak to is that made more sense of why I didn't see full grown men. Because if you think about it, you know, child trafficking and child porn can be child on child abuse. Mm -hmm. And that kind of solidified that last piece of like, okay, you know what I mean? Like yeah. at least like my story is not fun, but I know a lot of trafficking survivors either don't know their survivors or don't have answers or don't have memories, even with sexual abuse or whatever abuse you went through. Right. Um, so I do feel like grateful that I can, I can pretty much piece together what's happening. Yeah, I mean, you can so tell your story I'll to help other, I mean, help other people come forward with their story. Like you said, I yeah. mean, it's a, it's just, you don't know that it's happening to you. And if you hear that story, if you hear your story or somebody who is possibly it's happening to, and you, and they hear that, then they, they can put two and two together. They go, okay. You know, that is happening to me, but I can also, I have somebody to talk to. I think that's the biggest yeah. thing is that people are, um, embarrassed, maybe scared, yeah. but embarrassed because, you know, because it's not normal. And you want to, you know, as a kid, it's the the worst thing for a kid is to take that innocence away from them. And they no yeah. longer have that. They they can no longer be a child, you know, when you do stuff like that. And their childhood is ruined forever and adulthood, yeah. you know. I mean, yes, it, you, you deal with it. You cope with it. You see counselors. You see, you know, therapists and whatever. But you shouldn't have to do that. Right. I mean, touch, touch changes forever. You know, like I have a husband, um, and for me in any relationship, including him, um, that, that never goes away. And I, and I even, I even challenge that a lot of times with people who are in the sex industry, it, it changes your relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's hard work to, to be intimate with someone with physical and sexual touch yeah. And your body is just like on fire and wired differently. You know, well, it seems um, like it'd be it hard just, for the other person too, to, yeah, because, you know, say your husband would have to, um, and I want to choose my words wisely here, but, but, um, <laughs> he has to cope with what you're coping with too, in a way, because he has yeah. to, he has to, um, you know, appeal to your, to your feelings and right your ups and downs. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that they're, they're all over the place, but still when it comes to that type of stuff, the things you've been through. And then, like you said, you want to be intimate or whatever with your husband. It's, I mean, it's changed. That stuff's just changed forever. Really? Yeah. Like you said, it's hard work. It's gotta be hard work for both sides. Right. You know? And, you know, I would say like, I guess if I, if someone's listening, you know, like, 
um, those PTSD memories or triggers, you know, they're going to come up in any type of engagement or receptors, whatever you want to call it. Um, and to just stay, like I challenge myself to stay kind. So like if, if something's coming up in an intimate setting, that's intrusive, right? Like a memory that jots out of it, but I know I'm with someone safe. Um, I, I took that as, well, maybe my body's trying to tell me something. Like maybe I should revisit that memory, like because it's coming up here, right? Mm-hmm. But I could probably talk about it and have it come up in a better situation. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I had to learn to live with what my body remembers, um, and that's one of the most healing things I did. Um, and I read books like The Body Keeps the Score, and it talks about trauma and how your body has memory. Um, but to really mm-hmm. just unite with my child that's in like, we all have our inner child somewhere. Right. Right. Um, but our body also has our nervous system that actually like it turns into neurological like memory. Um, so I just took it as an invitation instead of a, don't look at it. I'm embarrassed. Right. Right. I kind of was just like, I, at some point you say, I've got nothing to lose. (laughs) I might, it did happen. I might as well face it. And that was probably the best decision I made. And that's why I'm able to, tell my story verbally because you know um not many people know this but there's there's no language in your brain that happens when traumatic events happen to you Mm -hmm. so once i had to learn like okay so there's no verbal language that i might have to explain or feel um but it's going to come up in other weird ways but it's still it's still a language to my body so i can respect my body and let it be itself and and be kind to it because we're we're not kind to ourselves we're not our, we're not kind in our thoughts to ourselves we beat ourselves up every all day. the time <laughs> all the time There's i mean and that's with on. that's with everything we do i mean yeah it's everything you're you're you know you're your own worst critic i think that's how it said yeah. i mean and i know i'm my own worst critic i beat myself up right. constantly over the work that i do and it's kind of gives you that imposter syndrome you know should i be doing this and you know am i good enough yeah. type thing yeah. um i don't know it's it sucks that we do that it sucks that we, i mean right. we shouldn't so you like, should praise I- yourself more but it's almost like you it's almost like people look at you differently if you praise yourself. It's like, oh, look at that guy. Right. He thinks he's great, <laughs> you know? So yes. it's... I'm, I'm uh, with you. Yes. I don't know. Whatever. I mean... So just my body is just has a different story, um, but we all can relate on, yeah. you know, just how, how we're wired um, to just not give ourselves that freedom, you know? And, and you got to kind of go against your own grain, I would say, and go for it. And And I stand here because I think it's worth it, you know? It is so, worth it. And I think what you're doing, I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, and like I, I, I said it earlier, um, I, I've researched stuff and it, it has brought a lot of things to light. And for me to see some of those stats and, and it's, it's staggering. Um, it just makes you think, you know, what's really happening out there. And I'm really, 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 pumped about being able to work with this project or work on this project, you know, with you and, and in our backyard and um, whoever else will be involved. But um, I mean, I'm, you know, it's just, it's exciting because, you know, hopefully we can, you know, at some point during the journey of, of, you know, making this, we can help people in the process too. Um, That's really the point of it also. It's not just to bring, it's not just a spotlight, but also hopefully help in the process. Um, yeah. and I think it'd be really cool to be able to be involved in that, 
and see people get helped. Um, it's, it'll probably be a roller coaster of emotions at some point, but, um, I'm really excited about kind of partnering with you guys to, to get it done. So I'm excited. And we have a, uh, I can always help. uh, (laughs) I see, you know, Jason coming alongside us um, for a while with your, your little video camera, whatever you got over there. Um, And, you know, I had another, I had a friend come with us last year and he's really cool. He does uh, traf. uh, He does, he's a tattoo artist and he'll do cover ups and remove traffic. You know, some traffic victims have, tattoos um and you know we're looking at these missing children we're looking for and we're doing other types of intelligence work to help find them you know and one of them looks just like his daughter and like let me tell you you want to see a dad break down you know the big daddy heart comes out and it just like it hit him like lightning and he was like she looks just like that's my like that could be my daughter like i think it'll make you feel like that regardless if you have kids especially daughters not that you don't care for your sons but when you look at another daughter another little girl or something like that or even a baby that is that is hurt somehow it doesn't matter how big and tough you are just doesn't matter i mean unless you just don't care unless you just don't have the heart yeah yeah, and he's done this work longer than I have. So you would think at some point, like, we've seen it all. You know right. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but, like it, it's still, like, your heart your heart may break, but it, but it's but it's worth when you see the hope that comes out of it. No, know? I'm, it, it's I'm it's ready for work. it. I'm ready for it. So um, I, I really hope we get to the point to where we can. I hope the country doesn't shut down again. Jesus, it seems like it's headed that way. Mm-hmm. Um had, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's just let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, right. So, yeah, because I mean, you got the Super Bowl and all that stuff, and um, you know, already in it. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a year of planning. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're ready. Los Angeles is coming twenty 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 two. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to somehow be there in some capacity to help. Um, I want to be there to to document everything I can. So, um, and obviously everything else I can help with, but, uh, super excited. You came on. I'm very happy that you, we finally got to take a chance to sit down and talk about this. Um, I know we could probably talk for hours. I'm sure there are tons of stories. We can do this again. Um, we can have another one, uh, at some point we can talk more, uh, Cause I, like I said, I know there's probably tons of stories you've, you've been into it and, and you've seen probably more than I want to, uh, probably yes. a lot of things I don't want to hear about, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's interesting and it's good to, to, to let people, uh, know what's going on. I know a lot of people that listen to this have kids, you know, yeah. so it's, um, not that anything's happening, but it's good for, you know, kids have friends and those friends have friends. Right. So it's just, you know, um, it's networking kind of thing. So it's good that, yeah. that it can get out there and you can tell your story, like I said, and, and yeah. hopefully affect, I mean, just if it affects one person that listens, it's good. Right. It's a positive thing. So, um, go ahead real quick to, um, um, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, whatever social media you got. Okay. In your backyard, <laughs> in our backyard, um, you know, yeah, in our backyard.org. And again, if you look up on Amazon, you know, in, in our backyard by Nita Bells, the founder, 
that's the same book I read and changed my life. So I always say, read the book. I'm living testimony that, you know, you can read it and realize you can help someone. So read the book, see us online, um, figure out how you can get a hold of some freedom stickers. They're free to you. Um, we need those up in the bars, restaurants, convenience stores, gas stations. They're free. We will send them to you. Um, but join us really, uh, we can make a difference. And if one person helps, um, you know, you can really save a life. And uh, leave us with that number again. You said there's a number, I believe, right? Yeah. So the National Human Trafficking Resource Hotline, um, the easiest way to remember it is 888-3737-888. You can um, text be free, B-E-F-R-E-E also. Um, we're, we're realizing how much how much comes in through text also. Awesome. That's great. So... There it is. Um, great, great podcast. I'm, um, I'm glad again. Thank you for coming on. Um, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. All right, sir. All Thanks, right. Mr. Jason. Yes. Thank you. You have a good, uh, good day on the West Coast over there. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right. See you. All right. Bye. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Manchester's Podcast. Make sure to hit that follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and anywhere podcasts can be found. Also, make sure you're following on Instagram at Jason Manchester and at Manchester's Podcast.